0: Welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition and helps you create a life by design. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. And today we got a QA. and a and we got a lot of questions. So should we get right into it? Let's just get right into it, bro. Uh,
1: we got one coming from Grace, and this is from the podcast form in the description. So I don't know her last name. Or her Instagram is handled, but that's okay. So they are asking, why do people say to not lower your calories today if, if they went over yesterday? Your body doesn't know the difference between today and yesterday. So it wouldn't make sense to have somewhat of a quote-unquote weekly average. Um, it's a good question. So I
0: will also say this. I mean, technically, your body does know the difference between yesterday and today. If you asked your body, if your body could speak and you said what is yesterday, they would be like, what's a yesterday? Because they don't know what a yesterday is. <laughs> but if we think of like biology, there is a, a biological clock. There is something called the circadian rhythm. Um, and I'm being somewhat of a smart ass here. So uh, apologies for that. Uh, but I do think it's necessary to, to point this out because your body does know. Uh, and you're not wrong with the weekly average. So I'll get to that in a sec. But your body does know the difference between yesterday and today. And there's enough research on time-restricted feeding and chrononutrition and things like that, that do show that there are patterns of eating that change your your, uh, biological clock or your body clock or your circadian rhythm, however you want to phrase it. Um, So it's, I think it's incorrect to say that it doesn't matter and that your body doesn't know because I think to an extent it does know and it does matter. Now, Are weekly caloric averages more important than daily caloric averages for fat loss? Absolutely. Um, I do agree with that. And I also know for a fact, and I've used this, this analogy or I wouldn't be really... Be an analogy. I don't know what it would be called, but um, robbing Peter to pay Paul is what yeah. they say, right? So robbing Peter to pay Paul is basically like, oh, like- Take one to give one. Exactly. Yesterday, I went over. Today, I'm going to remove some to balance it out. By the end of the week, I'm going to hit my weekly caloric average. And I do think that is a useful tool for some people um, because if you put your weekly caloric average in check, you will still see weight loss. And there is, I mean, there's enough anecdotal evidence that there's not much research on this that I'm aware of because- There's no reason to research that specific thing. But we've seen it enough in our coaching that we know like you can do this. And as long as you balance it out by the end of the week, you will see fat loss. And we also know this because and this is where we do have research for. But you can cycle your calories throughout the week, or you can have the same exact caloric intake every single day of the week. And if the weekly caloric deficit is the same in both groups, then the weight loss will be the exactly same. And this is where carb cycling and calorie cycling kind of lost steam because carb cycling seemed like a really good strategy until they did studies where it was like, okay, we have high and low carb days, and then we have regular, just moderate days every day, both of which create the same calorie balance at the end of the week. There's no difference between the groups. And the only caveat I would say there might be a difference is if we're considering like high performance athletes that have certain days that require more carbs. Maybe you do a lot more carbs to those days, but this is where you have uh, somebody who's in at maintenance and then some days in a surplus. I think there's an advantage there for carb cycling, but for fat loss, which is what she's talking about here, right? or maybe at least maintenance, there's just no difference. You can have high days and low days or just moderate days across the week. And because of that, the weekly average ends up being the most important thing. Um, So with that being said, uh, and this is also why like a 5-2 diet would work well, right? Five days in a big deficit with two days at maintenance or seven days a week at maintenance, right? The study they did on that was like 35% deficit five days a week, no deficit two days a week, or a 25% deficit every day of the week about the same for fat loss. There was a little bit of evidence pointing to more muscle maintenance in the 5-2 diet, but that's been somewhat debunked based on the way they um, tracked muscle maintenance because a lot of it could have just been explained by water retention in the muscle because they took the measurements of muscle retention after a refeed. If you take it after refeed, that's obviously going to lead to more water being retained. I would just argue that your muscle is mainly water anyway. So if you're doing that consistently... I would guess that that would probably lead to better performance and recovery and therefore muscle maintenance. But nonetheless, you're right. Like a weekly calorie average is definitely more important than a daily calorie average. So why would, why would people say this, that, that you shouldn't do that? Number one, in the most important reason, the, the most obvious reason, I think the most critical point where you would not want to do this, and this is where I don't recommend uh, cheat days, where I don't recommend refeeds, where I don't recommend, um, doing this, robbing Peter to pay Paul, is when somebody has any type of disordered eating. And I want to be clear, it's a disordered eating is different than eating disorder. Eating disorder is something like bulimia, anorexia, things like that, that should be clinically uh, advised and in, in guided through, right? They should have like actual medical clinical counseling, um, disordered eating is when I did my bodybuilding show and then I gained a bunch of weight afterwards. And then I went right back into a chronic deficit and I tried to like eliminate things from my life to avoid getting fat. That's disordered eating. You got some fucking issues there that you got to solve, but I don't have an eating disorder. So there is a difference, but this can lead to disordered eating for some people because what happens if they start getting too carried away with robbing Peter to pay Paul? Now we go and binge on pizza, and then the next day we fast half the day, and then the next day we try to get back to normal, but we're so hungry that we end up eating a bunch of donuts or something crazy, or even just going over fucking rice and apples. And then you feel guilty for eating too many apples and rice, and now you have this disordered eating that you're feeling guilty for eating fucking rice and apples and you overate so then you pull more calories from the next day and then that leads to a binge on the weekend and it's like this vicious cycle certain people can can do really well with this i can do totally fine with this now for where i'm at in my fitness journey and stuff it's not a problem for me um and i usually don't need to do it if i plan on going over i just accept that i'm gonna go over and i get right back to normal and i if i do pull back calories the next day like for example on a Sunday, I would, would be the only really day of the week that I would pull back calories because I don't train that day. I usually overeat a little bit on Saturdays is if I know that I overeat to an extent that makes me feel uncomfortable the next day. Not like I feel guilty, but like, I'm not even hungry on yeah, Sunday like, physically. I'm bloated, you know, like, it's just like, I just feel like shit. I'm just going to drink a hell of water and I'll eat when I'm hungry. And I end up like having a protein shake and then just not eating till like a late lunch and my calories naturally come down lower, but I feel better because of it. It has nothing to do with psychological guilt. Um, if I wake up after overeating and I'm still hungry and I feel fine and no stomach issues, then I'm gonna eat like normal, right? So I think that if you can address it that way, it makes more sense. Now, because I can address it that way, I also know that when I'm in a serious fat loss phase, I may wake up the next day and intentionally pull calories back because I went over, even if I am hungry, but it's because number one, I know it's not going to cause disordered eating with me anymore because I'm psychologically okay and aware. And number two... If my goal is to create a deficit and I took myself out of the deficit, I need to put myself back in the deficit to create the weekly average. So I think it's, it really comes down to like, is this going to be safe psychologically speaking for the individual we're talking about? And then the other situation that might not be advantageous is uh, two situations. One, obviously, if we have like a hard gainer, If I have a guy Mm -hmm. that's like, or even a gal that's like really light, like skinny person trying to get big and they're really struggling to eat enough food. And maybe one day they did go out and they had extra calories and they're like, oh, I got to pull my calories back because I ate too much. I'd be like, no, you already struggle enough to get enough calories. Like, let's just count that as a fucking win. You ate too much. You need to gain weight. Let's get right back to it. Yeah. And muscle growth is like, that's fine. You ate too much. Um, But the other one would be uh, some kind of athlete. So if they overeat, great. But let's say they overeat on a Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday, they have hard training, practice, whatever. I don't want you under eating or under fueling going into hard training sessions either. So that's where it's like, eh, you might not want to. Um, even for somebody at maintenance, if you step out of that maintenance caloric intake for one day and you go into a surplus, but you're at maintenance and you're very serious about your training, who gives a shit? Like you're not f- so focused on losing fat. Then there's no reason to do this. Just, you just went over a little bit. It is what it is. You had a good time. Now you're back to normal. Eat your normal diet. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think the only context that really makes sense is, is in a fat loss setting. Um, because you want to balance it out to create the weekly deficit for fat loss. But also you have to be able to check off the boxes. Like it's not going to negatively negatively impact my performance and that assuming that my performance is more important than my aesthetic goal. Because even if I'm like, damn, I'm going to have to pull my calories back because I'm in a fat loss phase and I am very passionate about my training. But at the end of the day, if I don't go PR, it's not going to negatively impact my fat loss phase. So it's not as important. Whereas an athlete who competes in a sport the performance is more important than their abs. Totally. So they shouldn't do that. Um, but then the other thing is the psychological side of it. Yeah. And that's one. long that's time. That's huge. Yeah. And I think that's that's the biggest reason I tell people don't do it and just go back to your normal diet. Um,
1: don't overcompensate. Yeah.
0: And nine times out of ten, too, you got to think about like this. If we really got down to the nitty gritty math, like let's say for easy math, your maintenance is 2,500 and we have you in a deficit of 500 calories, which is normal. So you're at 2,000. And you're like, damn, I overate my by 20 grams of fat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like what, I mean, what is 20 times nine? I don't know off the top of my head. Do you 180? hundred. Yeah. Two times Let's nine. Go. Um, so you over ate overate 20 grams of fat and you're like, damn, I have to pull 20 grams of fat. Okay. But think about this. You, you're in a 500 calorie deficit. So one day of the week you're in a, 220 calorie deficit because you accidentally overate by 180 calories but even that 180 calories isn't bringing you back up to your actual maintenance anyway so you didn't actually overeat you just ate closer to maintenance for a day if trying to bounce that out and pulling calories next day is going to stress you out throw you off your meal plan make you inconsistent or potentially lead down the path uh, path of disordered eating you are far better off just going ah shit i overate a little bit go back to 2000 calories you're going to be in a deficit You almost reached maintenance, kind of, but you really didn't go into a surplus. You didn't overeat. Nothing bad's going to happen. So any weight you would have gained from eating a couple hundred extra calories is purely water retention, and it's going to fall off like that. Totally. You know, if you felt like you went over a few hundred calories in alcohol and you're retaining water whatever, don't weigh in the next day so it doesn't fuck with your head. Drink a lot of water. Get back to weighing in the day after.
1: Don't, like, overthink it. Yeah, 100%. Totally. I think that was a good explanation for them. There you go, Grace. So we will move on to Andrea says what if you wait what if you have to okay what if what if you have to reverse diet someone before they can lose weight how do you get motivating results for this client this is a loaded question um i like this one cuz i literally just had
0: a conversation um with Ashley our intern about this today on the phone uh for one of our coaching calls and essentially like there's a few ways to go about this right like number 1 I don't like using concrete numbers because buy in is so important. So a lot of times people will scare people away from buying into a program to lose fat and get healthy and all those things because they'll say like, hey, we might need you know, you might need maintenance for two months. We have to reverse you for two to three months, right? You shouldn't say that because one, that might scare them away. Even if they needed that, you need time to butter them up and get buy in to keep them consistent with that. And if me leaving out that timeline or just saying i don't really know for sure is a, a way that i can create buy-in to therefore help you achieve better health and like it's worth it like yeah. i want to help you period and this is what's going to help you the other thing is that a lot of times people come on board to coaching especially in the gen pop setting and uh, and a lot of newer coaches struggle with this they don't understand or think but they think too much about the physiology of things and they don't think enough about the psychology or the lifestyle the sociology yeah. side of things Socio, social. Well, I think it's sociology.
1: Soci, like so, mental.
0: Uh, oh, there you go. Sociology. No, that's psychological. That's psychology. Both. Socio, like a sociopath. So, no, I'm talking about social settings. Oh, so there's so, a. Okay. But I think it's social sociology. It's, it's very. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> their environment basically. <laughs> and when you think about these things, you can also think about like, okay, this person came to me. They're overweight. They need to reverse diet first, right? That's what this context of this question is coming from. And they tell me they've been dieting for a year. If they've been dieting for a year, they would not need to lose weight, scientifically speaking. There you go. If we really get like nitty gritty. Correctly, yeah. So one of two things is happening. Either A, they really fucked up their metabolism, for lack of better terms, and we are going to need to do some work. Or B, they weren't actually in a deficit in the grand scheme of things. they said they were dieting. Yeah. At least seventy five percent of the time they weren't in a deficit all time. And what I mean by that is maybe they were attempting to diet. They're not lying to me. They were trying to diet, but there was enough times where they fell off the wagon, whether it was a week or a vacation, or it's it's every weekend or it's yeah. every couple weeks, and there's these days of such high caloric intake or like consistently mistracked dieting that they never really accomplished a full Uh, or I shouldn't say a full, a significant calorie deficit for long enough consistently in order to actually lose weight. There you go. So this person thinks they've been dieting and they've been trying to dieting and their efforts are there, but their knowledge of what a deficit is and their ability to actually execute on the deficit was not there. And therefore we don't need to reverse diet them. Right. Or we kind of do, but in a way that it's different. So a lot of these coaches, newer coaches will say like, Oh, we got to spend time reverse dieting. It's like, no, you got to spend a little bit of time at maintenance, just teaching them how to fucking track properly and follow a diet. You need to work with them to build good habits, build a solid foundation, and then from there, you can put them in a diet. That could take two weeks, whereas this person's going to reverse diet an overweight client for two months, and now this person's frustrated, gaining more weight, increasing their calories for no reason at all, because physiologically speaking, their body was totally fine. There was nothing wrong with their metabolism. They just didn't know how to diet, and that's more often than not the case. So I rarely go into it like, hey, we got to reverse diet for three months and get you healthy... We will frame it as like, and this is what we do, and we see this all the time. It's like we got to take you through a primer phase first. We're going to bring you up to what we think of maintenance is, and we're going to teach you how to track accurately, how to measure your food accurately, how to train properly, how to sleep better, how to manage stress, how to actually do things right so you feel good. By the end of this two, three, four-week period, it depends on how long it takes. Everybody's different. Their learning curve is different. I want you motivated. I want you less stressed. I want you recovering properly. I want you sleeping great, training hard. I want your metabolism to be good, in a good place. And then when we adjust the diet to put you in a deficit, your body responds, physiologically speaking, and then psychologically, you're motivated. There you go. And you respond really well to from a consistency and adherence perspective. And more often than not, we, we, what we see is either A – they really don't need that long there. Like I said, we spent a couple weeks there, and it's really just to get consistent, and then we create deficit, and they're losing weight, which goes to show, like, there was nothing wrong with them, and if they felt like shit from a biofeedback perspective, it's it's not because their hormones were messed up. It's not because their body fat was too low, and they need a recovery diet. It's because their calories were temporarily too low, and they felt like shit because their calories were temporarily too low, and really? so when we bring them up to maintenance in this two-week period, they're like, I feel amazing. I'll tell you this, if we spend two weeks at maintenance and you already feel amazing, there was nothing chronically wrong with you. It was a temporary calorie intake that caused the temporary negative biofeedback. So in other words, we don't need this long drawn out reverse diet because I just showed you that two weeks of eating at maintenance makes you feel better. So what that means is that you were dieting all week and then you were binging on the weekend or you were off and on dieting. So most days you kind of felt like shit because you barely ate anything. And then you have these days of splurging, which you didn't feel that much better because you splurge. You didn't like fill your calories with wholesome foods and get yeah. better sleep and all those things. So when you look at it this way, now we're seeing that because, again, when we look at why, why reverse diet somebody in the first place, it's either because, A, we want to maintain the result they got, right? Or, B, because their biofeedback and hormones, metabolism are suppressed. And if that's the case, it is either because, A, they've been dieting for too long or too aggressively, meaning their calories are suppressed, and therefore their hormones and health get suppressed or their body fat levels are too low, which is usually reserved for physique competitors. It's very rare. We get gym pop people that are that lean. Yeah. Um, and then there's the rare case where they actually have something chronically wrong with their hormones and stuff, but that's like 1% of people. It just rare, very rarely actually happens. Um, to the point where there's nothing that we can even explain. So if somebody would say like, well, what's the hormonal thing that would cause?" I don't know. Mm. I have no idea. Most hormonal things Depend. just make your metabolism a little bit slower. It doesn't make fat loss impossible. Um, so, All that being said, going through this is what you need to do. It educates the people, right? And it's like, hey, like going into this, we're going to take you through a primer phase. This is why we do this is because we want to figure out why aren't you losing weight? Is it consistency? Is it adherence? Is it knowledge? Is it a, a lack of a system? Is it lack of accountability? Is it actually your metabolism? And we're going to find that out. And then by the end of the two weeks, we can go, hey, like. It's not your metabolism. Good news is there's nothing wrong with you. We just needed to teach you some habits. Now we can start on a good foot and you're in a healthy place, physiologically speaking, your body's gonna respond really well to this diet. The other thing that sometimes happens though, that's the one case. The other case, we put them in a primer phase and they start losing weight. So it's like, we bring your calories up, but what was really going on most likely is that they were splurging or having like snacks, their, like bites of their kids' food, or they were going out on the weekends enough to where that, going back to the last question, their weekly caloric Average was was too high, so they weren't losing weight. And so when we go, hey, your your calories, we're going to set them at nineteen hundred, and they're like, holy shit, I've been eating at fifteen hundred trying to lose weight. It's like, yeah, you have Monday through Friday or Monday through Thursday, but then Friday Saturday, you you eat quite a bit. Sunday, you say fuck it, you just chill around, you eat like normal, and then Monday you're back on your diet. Yeah. So forty to fifty percent of the week, you're eating too much. So now they feel like they're dieting on a lot of calories in this primer phase, and they have accountability on the weekends, they're consistent. And they're actually in a deficit yeah. compared to what they were. So they start losing weight. They're feeling better because they're eating better foods. So they start training harder, burning more calories through training. And their need is up because we set their step count higher. And now they're losing weight. So we get done with two weeks. They're feeling awesome. They're losing weight. We're like, hey, we're just going to stay here. Like why put you in a deficit if this is working? Which is technically meaning this is a deficit. But it's a, it's a deficit that feels really good. Let's milk it. Yeah. We keep going until we need to. Um, and And like – Again, I think taking this step-by-step approach and just walking them through every single situation, that is what motivates them. The thing that motivates people the most is, is knowledge and results. Yeah. So if I tell you what we're going to do, trust and and you trust me and I teach you how we're going to do it, which is usually what leads to the trust is like, Hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is why it's going to work. This is how we're going to execute on it. This is how long it's going to go. I tell you everything there is about it. You trust me because I'm not trying to keep any secrets right now. You're getting results. There's nothing more motivating than results, realistically.
1: That's it. There's nothing There's nothing worse than you saying, just trust me.
0: <laughs> oh, I know. There's you know? nothing. <laughs> um, I will thank clients all the time for trusting me or trusting the process. Yeah. But I always reveal the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or the, um, or the plan to get to the, Exactly. The, yeah. Not, hey, your calorie's going to be at 1,900. Why? So just trust me. Yeah. You know, like that's no. horrible advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you lay it out this way, I think they have more motivation and they have a clear path. It's going to make a lot more sense. And and the, the best part about it is it actually fucking works. So then they start getting results relatively quickly. Um, and it's sustainable because it teaches them what they are doing, totally. you know? Um, so how do we motivate people for that? That's what it is. But I also think it's really important to like, think of like, I mean, for some of you coaches listening, like go back and listen to the first part of this where I said like reverse sighting isn't always the answer for people. Because I think a lot of times people jump to reverse sighting, but I would have you consider that 90% of the time or more, if somebody comes to you overweight and needing a reverse diet, something's not adding up. It doesn't make sense, right? The only time that is usually even a case is like if somebody gets done with a diet, goes like what I did after my show, went on a cruise, (laughs) horrible idea, gained a ton of weight and then let's say I hired a coach that next week and they were like, okay, like where are you at? And I'm like, well, I'm at 200 pounds and I I usually run 170, I want to lose some weight. Okay, well, how many calories are you eating? And I say 1,500 or whatever. And they're like, holy shit, you're under eating. we got to reverse diet. Well, that's because I'm only giving you this much of the story. Yeah, I didn't tell you that I dieted for a bodybuilding show for 12 weeks, got super lean, and then binged for a week on a cruise. And then I called you as soon as I got off the boat yeah. <laughs> to hire you for coaching yeah. to get back in shape. So, yeah, it's just very rarely the case. I think it, it comes down to empowering them with the knowledge required to get the result and then giving them support and then guiding them along the way and then they're going to get the result and you usually do not have to reverse diet for that long um and in the rare case you do like i think going through the same process i just laid out still is the answer because if you go through that process and it doesn't work to go back into a deficit so like let's say i take you through a primer phase i feel like we're, we're doing well and i'm like hey let's go into a deficit and the deficit doesn't work now we have proof like hey Maybe your your metabolism and things aren't ready for this. Maybe your body's not going to cooperate and we do need to spend more time in that primer phase. Well, now they can't argue with me because we both saw it. Like, and if you're telling me the truth and I'm telling you the, like, you know I'm telling you the truth really because yeah. I've laid it all out. But if you're accurately tracking, you're telling me the honest truth and you didn't lose weight in a quote unquote deficit, then that tells me your body's not responding. So we do need to step back. And they, I mean, numbers don't lie. Totally. You know, um, and that happens sometimes, but very rarely you know? Damn. So yeah. I don't know. I think, I think there's a lot to it obviously, but, um, I think that whole, uh, the, the whole idea of like reverse dieting and all that stuff, it's, i it's a topic I'm very passionate about because I think there's so many different ways of approaching it. So much nuance to it, um, that it's not just a black and white answer. Yeah.
1: Of, yeah. Totally. So, Cool. All right. Um, let's move on. We got a couple, uh, training questions we will dive into here. We got one coming from Jeanette Nicole says, how to properly, how to properly execute reverse dumbbell flies. Should your arms end up in a V or straight out to the sides? Uh, combination of both, uh,
0: somewhat hard to answer that question when I don't see you because like I'm thinking V like I'm, you know, like I think that sometimes that makes me think people are going up like a Y, but then I'm like, are you elbows bent? Hmm. So sometimes people do uh, reverse dumbbell flies and they like, they bend their elbows just way too much. Isn't that just two different exercises that straight out and V's? Yeah. Like the- so that, I don't ever call it a V, I call it a Y, but like, well, you can yeah. do like YTIs, which is like a rehab for your shoulders. Um, but it, then we kind of get into semantics, like how much different, like YTI. T is right straight to your side. Y is like angled overhead. And then I is like, how much different is that really yeah. from a muscle perspective? The reason it's good for rehab and warming up is because you're just moving your joint through different ranges of motion. Totally. From a muscle perspective and doing exercises, is like that's no, no difference. Um, so I think the biggest differentiators in reverse flies is n- number one, what are we targeting here? Are we doing, so I will call them a rear delt fly or I will call them a posterior fly. Posterior mm-hmm. being backside or reverse you can, they're all reverse because you're going in the opposite motion of a normal fly but a rear delt fly is targeting the rear delts a posterior fly in my opinion is tra- targeting the traps if you do a v or a y you're probably going to get more trap if you do more of like a t you're going to get more rear delts but even more so with the rear delts if you pronate your grip you're going to get a lot of so like palms down pinkies back thumbs forward mm. you're going to get a lot of rear delts whereas if you uh palms forward your knuckles back, so thumb up basically, pinky down. Now I'm getting more trap. So, just that that difference in like literally rotating your hand, your grip, that's going to change where you hit in the back. Um, Delta traps. Exactly. Um, I also like, I mean, obviously, for a lot of people, like if you, some people bend their elbows too much when they're doing rear delts, they want to do rear delt flies, or even if you're on like a, a pec deck machine, you can do chest support and you can do reverse with the machine. That should be for rear delts because your palms are down. But a lot of times people bend their elbows. If I bend my elbows, immediately my shoulders shrug. And I'm doing a lot of like upper back. Which if you want to train your upper back fine. But don't put your palms down if that's the case. Because it's going to limit the weight you can do. And your traps can handle way more load than your rear delts. Gotcha. So really you got to go into it first and foremost. Like what am I targeting here? Um, and then like I personally. Like the way I like doing them, all of them is a soft bend in my elbows. No matter what. So there's not too much flexion in my elbows. So I'm not. Bending my arms a ton, and I'm also not locked out, right? The reason I don't like locking out is because one, it just feels awkward and uncomfortable. Two, anytime I lock out my elbow, my triceps are going to fire a little bit. Your triceps are responsible for hyperextending the shoulder to an extent, like not as much as uh, your traps, your rhomboids, and things that actually retract the scapula. But if you've never done this, for example, do a tricep pushdown with like a single cable. Uh, is it a dolly? I keep, I always forget what the ball of the cable machine is called. The thing that you actually connect the handles to. Yeah. You know when I just grabbed that thing? connector? I don't know. There's cable. a there's cable an, ball? Yeah, there's an actual name for it. I, I have no idea. always forget, but. We'll say the cable ball. Yep. So when you do pushdowns with just the cable ball and you push down with your triceps, you're locking out your elbows and then you pull your shoulders behind you and do hyperextension, your triceps fire harder. And the reason they fire harder is because to get a full shortening of the triceps, so full range of motion, you actually have to hyperextend your shoulders a little bit. If you're doing a straight barbell in front of you with a pushdown, you can't really hyperextend your shoulders because the bar hits you in the waist, right? It's in the way. But if you have the pulleys, you can actually pull them behind you because it's a single pulley cable ball thing attachment. So the reason I say that is because if I'm pulling my shoulders into hyperextension to get my rear delts, but my elbows are locking out and my triceps are firing, mm-hmm. there's a small chance that I might be hitting my triceps a little bit. You know, I don't want to do that. Same thing with like uh, pullovers. Like I have to like, you saw me, me and CJ doing them yesterday. Yep. I'm like constantly trying to like poke his elbow cause I want him to have a soft, soft elbow. His triceps are overpowering. So every time he does something that his triceps can kick in and take over, they always want to cause they're overactive for whatever reason.
1: Mm.
0: So with these, I would specifically avoid a locked out elbow. So keep a soft bend, so not a lot of flexion. It's relaxed. But just a relaxed. That's why I always say like a soft bend in the elbow. Um, if you're doing rear delt flies, I always like a chest supported machine. The reason being is because if you do it on a chest supported bench, like an incline or a pec deck, I'll do like a high incline bench for me because I don't have that machine with dumbbells. Light dumbbells, like I use like 10 pound dumbbells for these because you can't do too much. And I like doing really high reps for rear delts because overloading them a ton is just waiting for injury. And you have to swing a lot. Yep. Palms down and soft elbow bend. And then what I will do is actually lean forward into the bench, which is usually what I don't recommend with exercise, but protracting my shoulder. So I actually like letting my shoulder roll forward into bad posture because when I do that, I'm for sure going to get the rear delts more, right? If I retract my shoulder, what is retracting my shoulder? My traps. Yeah. So if I don't want to hit my traps because I'm trying to target my rear delts, I should probably not pull my shoulders into hyperextension. If I'm doing this for my traps, which I often do as well, I usually go a little bit lower with the incline and then I do palms forward. I'll go a little bit heavier because I know if I go heavier, my traps are going to fire because my rear delts can't handle that load. And then I pull my shoulders back completely and I actually try to extend backwards. But regardless, I have a soft bend in my elbows. I'm always going straight out to the side. I'm not going overhead or in a Y position. It's always like a T soft elbow bend, either palms down or palms forward. Um, and depending on if I'm working traps or rear delts, I'm either doing shoulders forward or shoulders back. If I'm doing posterior flies for traps, I'll usually stay in like the 10 to 15 rep range rear delts. I like rear delt swings. If anybody's ever done that, where you do like a five to 10 full range reps, and then you just stay in that partial zone. And you can just kind of swing them. So yeah. it's like, it looks like you're doing bad form, but you're doing it intentionally and you're hitting like 20 to 30 reps and they're just brutal, um, and they will light up your
1: results. Um, yeah, that's totally That's what I would do. All right, cool. We will, and first of all, the Googles is telling me cable ball stopper. Hmm. Yeah. I, I heard somebody call it
0: something and I just took their word. Oh, yeah. So whatever cable person word. said it on Instagram
1: that I listened to yep. <laughs> is the person I just started thinking of. All right. So the next one is from Surenade. Uh, says so much misinformation out there how do you know what is legit or not in this industry um I mean the I I think
0: that like it's actually way easier to tell nowadays than it ever has been I think once upon a time you had to look at somebody's track record and it was just like does this person like actually have experience um but and that was like pre social media days and then early social media days. So there was like a lot of people and I guess I'm speaking from a coach's mindset, so it's it's probably not that simple. Um, if I'm being completely honest. However, I do think nowadays there's just been so much debunking of bullshit myths and fad diets and stuff that it's a lot easier to tell what's bullshit and what's not. For sure. Um so you can pretty quickly find out somebody's credentials, you know, pretty easily. Um like if you're if you see somebody on Instagram and they don't have a website, that's probably a knock at them, to be honest with you. yeah. Um, unless they work for a company, but that company better have a fucking website. You know, like that. I mean, to me, that's today's business card. If You don't have a website as a professional in anything. I think that's an issue. Um, they usually will have some credentials. Maybe like I don't list all my letters. I can't even fit them in my bio and that's not like to impress people because I just have a lot of certifications. I've done yep. this for over a decade. But if I was just a, I think it would be like, a dick measuring contest too. If I was just like CS5, PES, CPT, you know, PN, PN2, CP, NCI, like it's just like all these fucking letters. It's just like okay, bro, we get it. Yeah. And then Gen Pop people are like, I don't even know what those mean. Like, is that good? Like, um, and then you're, some PhD like Brand, Brandon would step on me and just be like, I have twice as many, yeah. or just like this one that trumps them all, PhD. Yeah, I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's like, um, but I think that and and I and I will say this like I will I would put certain ones i would put on like if i had my master's i would put my master's on there i wouldn't put all my credentials i would just put like the msc or whatever it is uh that i have you know what i mean because or it wouldn't even be c because I, I don't that's know what can, c, yeah. c is candidate so people can put msc when they're like almost finished with their master's program so ms is masters, i believe yeah um but uh point being is like if i had something like that yeah i think that would be worth it but like all of them is stupid uh, but my point with that is like if you go to our website you can see all of our credentials yeah you can see a, tr- a little fucking ticking box of how many credentials we actually have how many people we've worked with how many pieces of content we've put out um the amount of things we raised for charity like we have credentials and we have like a ticker box that counts them right like that is like you should be able to find people's credibility online somewhere um mm-hmm. so like point being is it's not too hard to actually find out if people are good at what they do right they should have results online. They should have people vouching for them. They should have people sharing their shit. Um, I don't think followers is what provides credentials. I know a lot of people are amazing at what they do. They just don't, they haven't fucked with Instagram until now or they just haven't cracked the Instagram code which I don't blame them because yep. nowadays it's really hard to. Yep. So it's more about like the track record of actually working with people um, and the, how long they've been doing that I would say as well. Um, their character. So I think that you can easily, I mean, you could feel people who are, who are in it for the wrong reasons. Like you can just feel when somebody's trying to sell something, you can feel when somebody talks about the same thing over and over and over again, and it's tied to a product of some sort or a method that is very binary. Like to the point where like we are a tailored coaching method, but if you look at what a tailored method is, it's like, it's individual. So we talk about so many different types of methods because it depends on the person, um, so there's a lot of ways to see those kind of things, and you know, in what I mean by like binary thinking and, and like kind of having like a, a, a single focus and more of like a sellable thing, is like you see the gurus that constantly talk about keto or constantly talk about intermittent fasting, they constantly talk about gut health and probiotics and stuff like that. Usually, they also sell supplements or something, or they're selling a book about intermittent fasting, um, or their one thing is like the answer to everything, mm. right? The best way to find people who are actually good at what they do is to look for people who say it depends a lot and they never have a black and white answer because it always depends. You know, and I can even think of people. That's just the reality. Of yeah. That. Even, so like I posted today, like fast versus slow fat loss, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I was kind of vouching for fast fat loss because a lot of times people constantly say doing it fast is the wrong answer, which I wanted to provide a research study, which is another sign of somebody you can trust, like they actually have some studies like, oh, by the way, this is backed up by this published research study. Here's the PubMed ID number mm-hmm. so you can Google it. But I also within it say, I also use a slow approach and often recommend a slow approach. However, here's why this might actually be And people who say you can only do it slow or wrong. You know, so even in that sense, like I think you can find people who will be creating content or saying like this thing or talking about this thing, but it's still not black and white because they say, However, or but when, or it depends on, you know, and there's even people who debunk shit or they will like argue with research and they still won't say definitively, this is the answer. Their argument is that that research study has some flaws and it still can't say 100% of the time, this is what you do. You know, like if we have a research study that shows, um, for example, people, the, the intermittent fast people would grab onto research that was favoring intermittent fasting And they would say, this is the answer for everybody because blank, here's the study. Whereas like most people who you can trust would say this one study said X, Y, Z, but it's in the context of X, Y, Z. And we would need to replicate that study in these three ways in order to be actually confident that it would lead to that type of result for more people. You know, and then when they replicate study, it doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, and we've seen that with intermittent fasting. And that's why a lot of those people don't make it very far who are proponents of that because We've seen time and time again that, well, if you account for calories, it doesn't matter. Like, oh, yeah, but that one didn't account for this. Or, like, oh, if you take out the obese people and just focus on lean people, it, it this doesn't count, you know? Um, so
1: many variables. There's
0: so many variables. Yeah. And so, like, people you can trust will just openly admit, like, there's all these variables, and we can't always – we can't give you an answer knowing that there's all these variables, plain yeah. and simple. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, but, like, I think mostly, like, you should be able to feel like they genuinely care and want to do – what's right. Um, I think like, and I, I feel confident saying this. I, I, you probably would never have said this before, but I've been doing this long enough and I've been putting out free content for long enough that I think people can see that I actually give a shit. And I I generally want to be a good coach and I generally want to help people lose weight. And like, that's what we mainly do. It's never like a salesy approach to things. Do we want to make more money? Absolutely, because it provides a better living. And if we make more money, it's a direct metric of helping more people, quite literally. Because the more people we sell, the more transformations we make, the more lives we change. But it's not a transformation factory, <laughs> you know, like on a conveyor belt that we're just pumping ads and running marketing. And that's where I think, you know, you got to be careful. So Totally. Um, there's a lot to it, but that's like my general thoughts.
1: Totally. All right, we will go to the next one. We got one more here, guys. It comes from... Uh, Krista K six, eight, one. It says, what is your favorite piece of unnecessary or quote unquote extra gym equipment? There's so much. I don't even know if I can answer
0: that, dude. Like bands. I mean, if, if you really want to look at it, I think it's all unnecessary. Uh, I mean, I mean, think about it. It's like, okay, well, just give me a barbell. I'll be fine. And that means every other piece of equipment is unnecessary. Give me just dumbbells and I'll definitely be fine, which there means a go. barbell is unnecessary. Just a
1: barbell. I could get by with just a barbell. I wouldn't want to. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> but I could get by. Just doing floor bench press with no weights on the side? Floor
0: press. I mean, okay, assuming you have plates with it, of oh, course. Okay. I'm saying like a barbell and plates. Um but squats, deadlifts, overhead press I mean, curls, rows, RDLs. Okay. You got a squat rack in there. You can do fucking everything, you know. Um, just a dumbbell rack and a bench, I can do a ton. Yeah. So, get like at, at that point, like, define unnecessary. There you go. You know, yeah. because to me, the bigger the gym, the more shit I can fit in it. <laughs> it's like, it's all I necessary. I can use it all. Yeah, it's all necessary. Um, but there's, because there's certain things in our gym that, like, I very sparingly use. So. But when it's the right time. Yeah very necessary.
1: So, there you go. So what is your favorite piece of equipment that you rarely use? And I'm not going to define rarely, <laughs> but the least. Yeah. Um probably the sled. Sled. I was going to say the sled or the assault bike, but I know you weren't going to say assault bike. I fucking hate the assault
0: bike. <laughs> I mean, I lo- it, it's a piece of equipment that I think is necessary to have, but like here's the thing is like with sled I think the sled is better than any other piece of cardio equipment because it's so versatile and you can do so many Works things you with your legs, where's your shoulder. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's also like you can, I mean, you can do a lot more things than people realize with it, but also too, it's so safe and it's so effective for high intensity, low intensity, all those kind of things, um, rehab, warming up, finishers, cardio, conditioning, like pushing, pulling, rowing, sidewalking. You can do crawls with it. You can touch a band to it. You can sit down and row it with a rope. Like, there's so many things you can do with it. But not that many people have the space to use it. Because um, you have to have a, a turf, you know? Or you can use it in your street if your street's super flat. But on the pavement, it's so... It's shitty, dude. It's yeah. so annoying. I mean, we used to do sled pulls around the plaza at the old, old gym. And it was dope. But, like, we have to do it, like, late at night when all the shops are closed. Because it's just, like, just grinding, <laughs> you know? But, um. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have a client who uh, bought one not long ago, and he fucking drags that shit down his block. That's sick. I'm like, that's dope, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All the neighbors know what time it is. Yeah. Like, it's sick. But uh, but that's why I would say sled is because I think it's unnecessary from a standpoint of not that many people can get their hands on one and use it yeah. or have the space to there use it. There you go. I think that's one.
1: Anybody can get it.
0: Yeah, oh. it's cheaper than a salt bike Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, but that's definitely up there. I think that I would also even like say the – put some like pads on it. Yeah, but then the pads would just rip. Yeah. You know? Sure. Um, I've thought about, like, so many ways that you could do it. Like, yeah. I made a sled. Like those ski, skier pads. Yeah, but those would tear on the cement, wouldn't they? They're plastic. Those skier pad things that you use, like, for... Bow slides. Valve slides. yeah. They would tear eventually. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It would, it would be quieter. Yeah. And they're not that expensive, so yeah. it would probably be better. Um, anyway. But then it'd probably move too fast. That's where, like, I see those, like, I those sleds on wheels they have now. What? Yeah, and so they have like Oh, like they, in Scottsdale. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So ugh, my first thought was like that's stupid. It's yeah. gonna be too easy. But obviously there's like resistance on the wheels yeah. so it doesn't go super fast. But um but I was even gonna say like the little cable tower we have, like the the two not this lap pull down, but over there because that's technically unnecessary. If you think about like all the functional stuff, you don't need a little cable, but I use the fuck out of that thing. Yeah. I mean Flies, face pulls, reverse flies, uh, push downs. curls, push downs, all the variations of those two, lateral raises. There's just so many things you can do on it. There's a lot of rehab stuff you can do on it. There's a lot of core stuff you can do on it too chops, pal off presses, cable crunches. I love that uh, thing a ton. The problem is it's so expensive. Yeah. Um, I mean, that one was. Talking about the sword next one? No. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the other one. That one too. But yeah. that's definitely something that's hard for people to put in a spot. But that one is more like that could fit in a garage. You know, it's just that it's a few grand. Yep, That's not cheap. Yep. Um, but I would say it's versatile. It is versatile. And you can use it for a lot of stuff. It's not necessary because I think the most necessary piece of equipment are dumbbells. Yeah. If I had to literally only use one piece of equipment for the rest of my life, I would have one big dumbbell rack from five to 150 pounds and I would just have a bench, get after it. That's all I would do because you could do, I never think dumbbell deadlifts from the floor are... Nearly as good as barbell, but like dumbbell RDLs are great. You can do front squats, can lunges, do split squats, triceps. You can do, uh, do, yeah, you can do those, and you can do skull crushers with them. Oh, all what? kinds of curls. I thought that's what it was. Oh, that's, uh, that's a tricep extension yeah, overhead, yeah. but then skull crusher would be this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, dumbbell curls, obviously lateral raises, chest flies. You can do floor press, dumbbell press, incline press, overhead press, overhead press RDL, lunge <laughs> variations. So I wouldn't even squat ever again. I would just do tons of different split squat variations. Yeah. There's just so much you can do. So we're going with dumbbells or sled. Sled for the unnecessary. There you go. Dumbbells is the, the necessary piece of equipment yeah. that I couldn't live without. Totally. If I had to have a garage gym with just a bench and one thing, that's what it would be. A ton of dumbbells. Love it. So.
1: Cool. All right, guys. That's it for
0: today. We, uh, any announcements? Uh, yeah. Let's just run through the norm. Um, great questions today, too. Mix of training and nutrition, I like those. Uh, But as always, guys, go over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash guides to get all of our free in-depth guides and eBooks. You can head over to tailoredtrainerapp.com to check out the, uh, not free, (laughs) the cheap as hell programming app to get your daily workouts done. Head over to tailoredcoachingmethod.com slash online-coaching to check out our online coaching and learn more about working with us. firstform.com slash tailoredcoachingmethod to get the supplements for sponsor number one of the show and giantlifting.com. You can use the coupon code TCM5 or you can just drop down and click the link in the description. Actually, you might have to potentially do both, I think, is what the thing is to help me out and help yourself out, if I'm being completely honest. But that will be in the description of this podcast for sponsor number two. Uh, And that's a wrap, guys. So as always, we appreciate you and we'll catch you next time.